0: What was Moses' wife Zavorah, known as when she threw dinner parties? The hostess with the Moses. The hostess with <laughs> the <a> Moses. <laughs> Let's see. Um, what did Adam say when he was asked uh, what his favorite holiday was? It's Christmas. Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to be in First Kings again. And just so you know, we'll um, be giving a working believer offering to Dorina. She's not been able to work for probably almost two weeks. And then I'll be giving personally out of my own fund. And we'll get her fixed up. Okay, so uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. And uh, this is one, what we're going to get into to today is one of my favorite, 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 favorite things. First Kings. Oh, yeah, First Kings. Did I say? Corinthians. Oh, Corinthians. Sorry. <laughs> First Kings. And uh, we're not gonna read the entire chapter, we'll take parts out of it, and then we're gonna get to chapter five, which has a key thing for us. Uh, But it says in verse one, King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his high officials. Azariah, the son of Zayach, was the priest. Uh, Elihoreph, I guess that's how you say his name, and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries, and then Jehoshaphat, was the recorder. Bedaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was in command of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers, and Nathan remembers the prophet. He was a prophet to David, now he's serving in Solomon's administration along with his son. Zabud, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Oh, that's neat, I never noticed that. And then Ahishar was in charge of the palace, And Adarim, the son of Abda, was in charge of the forced labor. So that's going to be an important thing to keep in mind, this forced labor, because it's actually going to be the downfall and the division between the nations later, uh, which we'll get into in a few weeks when we get to that chapter. But I just wanted to show you these six uh, verses here because these are Solomon's main leaders. Some of the names will be familiar so you can see that he uh remember he i think the last uh time we talked about kings if i'm not mistaken he had killed off you know Joab, uh his brother uh adonijah and all them because they were seditious and then those that remained faithful he has carried them over into his own administration which is very smart one thing that um well i'll just give you an illustration i have a friend that years ago, when Kent was in uh, uh, youth, her kids were also in youth. And so she volunteered like I did. Absolutely loved it. Um, we both served in similar manners where our job was to equip the teens. And so we would teach them to prophesy, do treasure hunts, I mean, all of that stuff, and just give them a vision of the power of God that must always accompany the Word or you get religious with just the Word or you get weird without the Word, you know. So we would bring that together where they would preach the Word, we would teach them how to minister. And her kids grew up just like, you know, Kent, He's out of youth. Um, And what happened was, I can't remember if new leadership came in, but a lot of times for youth ministry, the youth leaders are youth. They're young. You know, they're usually in their 20s which is fine. Unfortunately, what can happen is youth leaders do not tend to surround themselves with older people. And then sometimes you can see in the adult church where the pastors don't surround themselves with younger people. And and so it's kind of like, you know, if you don't have both, which I wish we had more young if you don't have both then what can tend to happen is you can get inflexible and turn into old wineskins, resistant to change resistant to what god wants to do because uh, you have to be very active you know you have to be very resistant to settling in ways the only way we want to settle in is in the nature of god and he's always moving yeah yeah every time every time he moves there's a different aspect of his character and his nature and, uh, and so, here she is in her 40s, I believe, uh, surrounded by all these young people, and all of a sudden she started noticing there was a click, And they were having things where she wasn't even thought of, and she was a major leader. You know, she wasn't just someone on the fringes, she was very actively involved. And it really got to her, and I remember I had gone to visit her, and we were sitting in, uh, it might have been the Texas Roadhouse in Colorado Springs, and we were sitting there having dinner and she was grieving over it. I mean, she was, you know, very upset. She was crying, and the reason is she finally went and sat down with the youth pastor to say, you know, hey, this is what I'm seeing. And she was very proactive in reaching out, trying to be a part of things. And he basically said, you're too old. Now, not to mention the discrimination. Now, she wasn't being paid, so there's probably nothing she could do there. But I remember just sitting there stunned at the lack of wisdom in this young man because it says in the bible older women are to teach the younger and older men are to teach the younger you know and so that is a biblical model of leadership and that's what i like about solomon he probably had his own hand selected leaders but he also brought the generals of the faith that served his father over into his administration to produce a balance, and his son made the mistake of getting rid of all of the older ones, and that led to his downfall, which we'll study at a later time. So I really, really like that. And then as far as the forced labor, what they were doing is they were building Solomon's house, the temple, and other building projects. Now, I believe that some of the, and I have later confirmed since I wrote this, that some of the forced labor, they were Israelites but they were being paid a wage, but it was very low. Uh, So it was a tribe actually that was into forced labor, but they also had slaves from nations that were not being paid, and they were in the labor as well. So it was a mixture. Solomon also appointed 12 officers that were over all of Israel to provide food for the king and his household a month at a time, as well as one governor over all the land. And that was very smart. So basically, the leader over each tribe, they were required to collect food and other necessary items to support the king and his administration. <clears throat> now we're going to go down to verse 20 and read 20 through 21. Judah and Israel was were as many as the sand by the sea." Now, that's a fulfillment of the original promise given to Abraham. They ate and drank and were happy. Solomon ruled over all of the kingdoms, from either from the Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines, to the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now, the reason I wanted to include this is I believe that these are nations that um, David probably conquered, but Solomon might as well. But here's the thing, the boundaries during Solomon's reign were as close to the original boundaries that God gave them when they first entered the promised land. So Solomon was able to get as close as possible to a land of peace, a land that had the original intent of father. Uh, Then the tribute that was paid to Israel by the nations That's what made the kingdom so prosperous. That's why silver was basically like gravel, just standing in piles on the streets because there was so much of it. Now, let's go down to, and I love this. They ate and drank and were happy. You know, that should be the goal of any leader, you know? Uh, The people of God in a ecclesia or in a church, if you wanna call it that, the uh, people in a city, in a state, in a nation, wisdom in the leader will allow people to work for a living, to have plenty of food, to be able to eat and drink, to enjoy their families, and to be happy. And when you see that not happening, uh, sometimes it can be a judgment. Uh, Sometimes a wicked or immature leader is a judgment to the church first. See, we always look to the world but the judgments, actually, it begins with the house of God. And uh, and I think today's political environment, what's going on, might be an indicator of that. Okay, so Solomon was truly... Um, oh, let me read you verse 25. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. That's another uh, um, aspect of being blessed by the Lord. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree tree all the days of Solomon. I love that. So Solomon was truly a king of peace. Uh, he was probably the most beloved king uh, other than David, and those that were in forced labor probably didn't like him very well. Uh, but I want you to see the most is that Solomon is creating a picture of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And if Solomon was able to do that under the Old Covenant, then why on earth, pun intended, can't we? Okay, so again, he lived under an inferior covenant. He should not have more peace than we do. He should not have more prosperity than we do. Uh, That uh, is almost illegal. It probably is in the kingdom of God. It's an illegal reality for someone to experience more than we are in Jesus Christ. Now, Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. He had 12,000 horsemen, and the officers, quote, let nothing be lacking for all of his needs, his household, and even the guests that were with him. They also supplied barley and straw for the horses. Now, I want to look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 because, again, we're noticing cracks in Solomon's foundation that's going to lead to the downfall of the nation, Uh, Because it all starts. See, that's that's what's interesting. A leader. You know those people that left us a bad review. They put tape on the doors. When I said, "Don't hang anything on the doors." Anyway, moving on. (laughs) We're seeing cracks in Solomon's foundation where leaders have to understand that even the smallest decisions can impact depending on your level of influence if your influence is over a city you can think you're making the right decision and then generations later like if you look at some of the decisions who was it was it Roosevelt that did the new deal back in the day was it Roosevelt or was it uh, Eisenhower Eisenhower was it Roosevelt yeah after Uh, Well, during the Depression, which actually was caused by Democrats, um, but he put in like the Social Security, the Medicare, the uh, welfare, all of that stuff. And by the way, some of his private communications reveal it wasn't necessarily that he cared for the people. It was a planned thing to get the people dependent on the government that has impacted us to this day where now seniors are in a system that at any moment could stop working because of how they're using the money. I mean, it's just incredible. So that decision is impacting people to this day and it's a really sad thing. So it's like President Trump's decision out of the good of the people to shut down the nation. That has opened up a Pandora's box. Even if the decision seems good and it's wise in your own eyes you've got to here's here's one thing I do and I'm not saying I'm super smart this is what Holy Spirit's taught me when you're when you have to make a decision number one you're always open to the idea you could be wrong number two it's like okay let's follow out all the consequences go into the worst case scenario because if you don't, and if you don't look at all the obstacles, then you may, or all the things that can happen from your decision, then you may find yourself in a mess. Now, whether President Trump looked at the worst case scenario, because he knew the crazy governors, he knew that they were insane. So he could be like, you know what? It's worth the risk. I'm willing to take the risk of tyranny in order to protect Americans, right? Okay, well, what's happened? It wasn't worth the risk. And people might be like, oh, my gosh, you're terrible. Don't you have empathy for people who have died and their families? Absolutely. But the nation is on a trajectory that we should have never been on because of that. And so because of his influence and the power he held, he made a decision that he probably still thinks is right to this day that we're now paying the consequences for. Uh, So that's what I mean is, what is the worst case scenario if I make this decision? And then go back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, well, that looks pretty bad. Actually, what's your wisdom here? What is something that we can do that will avoid those decisions, but also we can solve this problem here? Does that make sense? So it's always good to have a worst case. But the problem here with Solomon, where he's not living by Jedediah. He's not obeying the law, which I'm about to show you. He's also collecting wives. We know that, right? Well, here in Deuteronomy 17:14, this is in the law, and it's the laws concerning Israel's kings. And it says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. See, God never had a problem with them having a king. David established the throne for the Messiah he still sits on it to this day right so he didn't have a problem with the king what he had a problem with is the kings they would choose so he's like let me choose the kings right so then it says from uh, one from among your brothers you shall set his king over you you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of his horses were from Egypt. Since the Lord has said, you will never return that way again, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart be turned away, nor shall he uh, require for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest, and it will be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law, these statutes, and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up against his brothers, etc., etc. Okay, so Solomon did exactly what God said not to do. (laughs) And we don't have any record that he actually had the law that he wrote out himself and read every day. Because if he did, now he's rebellious. If he didn't, he's ignorant. Both have the same consequences. So we see a compromise in Solomon's heart. Having a military was fine, prospering was fine. I mean, I'm sure it would be hard to figure out what to do with all that extra silver and gold, maybe pay the forced labor. But the main thing is Solomon collected all of these things. This was a violation of God's heart and wisdom because wisdom is doing what you don't need to do or want to do before you need to do it, okay? So he might have operated in a supernatural wisdom that God gave him to rule, but when it came to his own personal decision-making, he did not utilize that wisdom. And did y'all also know that fear is learned? Did y'all see that when I read that? That you may learn to fear the Lord. That's a learned behavior, okay? So, again, we've got cracks. Now, let's look at verses 29 through 34, and then we'll get to my favorite part in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Heman, Calcol, Darda, the sons of Mahol. Uh, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke three thousand proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and reptiles and fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. I love that. Okay, so I want to break down a couple things, different aspects of wisdom. Number one, It's not wisdom is, uh, I, I think yours says skill, mine says kill. So wisdom is not killing people, okay? My S must have gotten messed up there. So wisdom is skill, experience, shrewdness. It manifests as a technical capability. You build with it, you prosper with it, you direct your affairs with it, and it's coupled with prudence and discretion. He spoke proverbs, and proverbs are sayings that help one reign in life. Okay, that's why I love proverbs and read it all the time. He wrote songs with wisdom, so we, wisdom is a very creative ability and music, uh, musical ability. He understood nature and animals and how things work, and he also built a tremendous wealth with it. But what I love about it is he operated in so much wisdom. He was an influencer. And nations came to hear that. I mean, that's what we want, right? We want to operate in such wisdom that people will come to us to hear what we have to say. So uh, I love that. That's how you become a a nation of influencers. Okay, now, um, and and, and, just in retrospect, I'm sure you can see why the Lord was like, wisdom is a principal thing. And all you're getting, get understanding. Get wisdom, you know, because it is how he built and, and spoke the earth into existence. It's, it, I mean, everything he did was from wisdom. Wisdom says that she was there when everything was created, was celebrating and rejoicing at everything that was seen. You know, so wisdom has been from the very beginning, and now Jesus became the wisdom of God for us, and we possess him. So we should be the most wise, the smartest, the most prudent people on earth right? Instead sometimes we're really really dumb. And you know where the Lord called us sheep it's always bothered me how like, and I've said this to you that being called sheep is very fitting because sometimes we're extremely naive that's not a compliment we should not be naive the sons of darkness should not be shrewder than us. So I don't think that he picked sheep because they're stupid I think he picked sheep because they follow And so we as sheep should follow the shepherd, we hear his voice, but we shouldn't be dumber than a sack full of hammers. You know what I mean? (laughs) We should be very, very smart people. Okay, now, this is my second favorite. I love the influencer aspect of that. Now we're going to look at this. So now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, and he said, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare uh, with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put him under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. Now, this is where we're going to really dive in, and we first heard this from uh, Bill Johnson, so you might want to underline it. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. That's the important phrase. And so, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build a house for my name. Now, therefore, command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay your servants such wages as you set, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. Okay. To me, that phrase... There is neither adversary nor misfortune is the greatest result of wisdom. It's like the highest pinnacle you can reach. Okay. First, it goes back to the thing I've been saying for years is that a lot of the problems we have is not attack from the devil. You're not under attack. It's a lack of wisdom okay it's not god punishing you it's not any type of you know disobedience or anything like that as far as oh now i gotta you know attack their body or i gotta attack their finances and teach them a lesson that's an abuser father's not an abuser our decisions however can open us up to demonic attack but even then a lot of what we're experiencing is not even demonic it's the result of making decisions outside of wisdom okay so here's the thing, and this is this is crazy. Solomon has the foundations of his government established. Now he's focusing on why he was born. That's building the house. And under an inferior covenant, he tells Hiram, we have rest on every side. There's not adversary nor misfortune. Okay, the word adversary is the word Satan in the Hebrew. So he's saying that we have neither Satan nor nor misfortune, okay? It's used 27 times in the Old Testament. 14 of those times is referring to Satan himself. But I'm sure we can see that by David's prep work of subduing the nations around him, which is a part of wisdom, and then Solomon's wisdom in order that he brought, also manifestations of wisdom, unprecedented glory was in the house of David, wealth, influence, power, This is the glory of the nation of Israel being displayed, and Satan could not find any place in the nation. People think that they are subject to the devil's attacks. I mean, are we going to believe Luke 19.10 or not? Where it says, I give you exousia legal jurisdiction over all the dunamis or supernatural power of the devil. You will trample on demons. You will subdue every demonic power. And as you walk in this authority, nothing shall by any means harm you.
1: I don't know how
0: much player it can get. So why do things harm us? We're not walking in the authority. You, to walk in authority like that, you have to be conscious of it. You can't be pippy long stockings, going around in life, skipping. You have to always be aware you're in authority. That way, when the enemy tries something, oh, no, 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 no. You're not, I will not allow that in Jesus' name, right? That comes to car wrecks, that comes to sickness, that comes to accidents, anything. What Jesus did promise was persecution. Actually, it's not a promise, it's just a fact. You're going to be persecuted. <laughs> they hate me, they hate you. That's how it is. Okay? So, that that's a reality. But when it comes to demonic attack against us, there is a place. I'm telling you, if Solomon was able to live without adversary, without a Satan, we should too. There is a way to live above the snake line. But let me take this into the New Covenant, because people are like, well, that's Old Testament, blah, blah. Okay. Again, it was an inferior covenant. But in the New Testament, nothing no thing, no word, no person, no devil could touch Jesus Christ until he submitted himself to the hour of trial. That should have been a clue to the enemy. He should have been, hmm, hmm. I'm not able to touch him for 33 years. You know what I mean? Like that, that should have been a clue. But anyway, so then the Lord submits to the hour of trial. The devil does what he wants to do, and even that was a trick. So, he's resurrected, and then he says, tag, you're in. I now live in you. You have the same reality that I walked in. I was a model of who you are now. Train your soul to understand this reality. The level our soul is trained to understand who we are now then you go up higher and higher and higher in revelation to where eventually you're above the snake line so what happens is then if the enemy like persecution stuff now you're like you know what this is fabulous i love persecution you know why i like persecution from people because it sets me up for a blessing according to Peter and according to both Peter and Paul, persecution is a favor from God. so take that sucker <laughs> you know what I mean like that there he has no end if we understand all of those things. So I love this I love it. then this is crazy too. Um, well let me let me finish this. so the glory of nations being displayed, Satan has no place in the nation. Everybody's at peace. Unfortunately, there is an influence in Solomon's heart. You know, so the the enemy's going to use Solomon's heart that's already straight. He's already straight. We already see that. So it's crucial to always be attentive of your inner world, even more so when your outer is perfect. Okay because when everything's going good, life is good, and you may have some uh, persecution, but you celebrate that fact, you've got to pay attention to your inner world and make sure that it's not strained. Okay, now I have hunted, I hunted, probably for 30 minutes trying to find my notes because we originally heard the truth, I'm about to tell you next, from Bill Johnson. I always confirm, you know, so I had traced what he said down and knew it was accurate but i could not find my notes where i put that to save the life of me and so i'm really irritated about it eventually i hope it's that in that one verse where i found that prayerlessness is what opens you up to um attacks and things i have not been able to find that scripture. scriptures in our colossians study so please pray that I find those two things but i just want to tell you i have studied this out i just can't find it but the word misfortune, where he says we don't have neither adversary or misfortune in verse 4, in the New King James, it's translated evil occurrence. And according to the original language, it's the desolation of fatherlessness. So what he's saying, there is neither Satan nor the desolation of fatherlessness. Now, when I studied this, I was able to tie it to the abomination of desolation, okay? Because it's the curse of fatherlessness that the Antichrist will take advantage of. That's why Malachi ends with to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So the, the desolation from fatherlessness is absolutely stunning, which is why Marxist groups like BLM, which is actually a, le- it's a core lesbian group, that's why it was started, was for lesbian purposes, One of their, and they removed it from their website, but people have it. One of their core goals is to destroy the nuclear family among their own people. Because the destruction of the nuclear family destroys a nation. You unravel the nuclear family, you unravel the nation. They know that, but they don't believe in the nuclear family because they began as a lesbian-based organization. And you have pastors who are funding this crap, and they're supporting it. And we also have proved, and I had in the podcast, that they are witches. These people are into witchcraft. And so we've got pastors They're supporting witchcraft. Study it. You know what I mean? It's fascinating. And I'm a little irritated about it, but you know what? Love is large. And it is very, very patient according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. (laughs) Which I've been reading every day. (laughs) Okay. So, there was no desolation of fatherlessness. Wisdom removed Satan. Wisdom removed the desolation from fatherless fatherlessness from the kingdom, bringing the closest to the kingdom of heaven on earth as any example outside the garden of Eden post-fall. That is what we're supposed to be doing. Create the kingdom in our families, our marriages, our finances, our spheres of influence, and then extend that outward by those principles and his presence to the seven mountains. Joseph Became the second command because of wisdom. And all you're getting, get wisdom and understanding. All right, let's finish up with 7 through 12. As soon as uh, Hiram heard the words of Solomon, who rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I am ready to do all you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servant shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you direct, and I will have them broken up there, and you will receive it, and you shall meet my wishes by providing food for my household. So that was a payment. So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timber of cedar and cypress that he desired, while Solomon gave him... 20,000 cores of wheat, uh, and that's not coors, beer, that's cores, cores of wheat as food for his household, and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave uh, uh, Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them uh, made a treaty. Okay. So if we go back to the earlier verses, as they ate and drank and were happy, all of Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and every under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. The trouble Christians might experience are persecutions, not supposed to be poverty, sickness, accidents, etc. Those are things that Jesus died to get uh, rid of so he could give us wealth, health, and safety, and, a.k.a. peace, with persecution. In Mark ten twenty-nine through 30 it says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So the peace of God includes prosperity, but also you got some persecutions coming. That's why Paul says to pray for your government leaders in your city and in your nation, because that way it will go well with you. But this is the epitome of really what we want, even in our country. When they did a survey, people just want to go to work. They want to just take care of their families. They want to be left alone just let us do what we need to do well that's what that means because a vine and a fig tree is labor right you're tending your vineyard you're tending your fig trees to produce a crop to feed other people so people just want to be left alone but what i like about this is when you look at i'm going to give you houses plural brothers and sisters all of those things along with peace you'll have persecutions you think well that's not peace well peace is not outside pieces inside so even if you are being blessed in that way and you're being persecuted peace is inside so the persecutions are not supposed to affect your inner world does that make sense okay very good so any questions or anything that anybody wants to add you know I think like that crazy thought that Bill Johnson had where he said you know Jesus said there'd be wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and things like that and you know he said that's not a promise you know he's just saying that's what's coming so that we can prepare in order to meet those uh, problems and solve them well the same thing with persecutions you know, a way for a nation to not end up persecuting its, its people is for the righteous people to get righteous leaders in and for the righteous to pray for those leaders. You know, that's, that's the answer to not having your own government turn against you. Now, of course you're gonna have people maybe in the workplace or in the store or whatever, that they find out you're a Christian, they might persecute you. But it's a whole nother level of persecution when your government is being weaponized to go after you—that's which they are, because y'all know that as Christians we're terrorists now, officially. Okay, I didn't know if y'all knew that. One. <laughs> All right, well let's let's uh, let's pray. And oh, I just broke my pen. Okay, fiddling with stuff. All right, Father, we thank you so much for the example that Solomon set that we can have. We have the new covenant. We have Jesus Christ in us when we were born from above. We have the same Holy Spirit that He had. There is no excuse. We are not going to say, but He was God, because we have God in us. He lived 100% man while He was on earth. 100% God, but He lived as a man. And so, Father, that was the example of who we are now. And so that means... That if Solomon was able to do what he did pre-Christ, we should be able to do that here on earth, post-Christ, and even better. And so what we need, Father, more than anything is wisdom. And Father, I don't ask necessarily for wisdom as much as I ask that you train us in wisdom. That you show us what wisdom looks like that you begin to help us recognize wisdom. Like for me, Father, it feels like a light bulb went off. It's like a it's like a knowing. All of a sudden there's clarity, all of a sudden there's this this is what we do, this is how we solve this problem. I pray that people begin to recognize wisdom. Her voice, she's a voice. She's a way of seeing things. There's a lot of joy with her. And so Father, I ask that you help us to walk in wisdom because Jesus Christ is wisdom for us. And I pray that it, it translates tangibly into our communities. Wherever we live, we'll begin to solve problems on a community scale, not just within our own groups of believers, but we will go outside and solve complex issues. Father, I confess that as far as the hub is concerned, we are a prophetic company of marketplace apostles influencers and solutionaries who are able to solve complex issues in all seven mountains and have the ears of kings that's my prayer so father this morning we want to give you our ties and our offerings we love you that's why we give to you we don't fear you know attack against anything if we don't we don't fear the enemy we rebuke him in jesus name we are giving our tithes and offerings to you this morning as kings to a king, because you made us kings and priests. And this is our highest honor of worship, taking the glory that is in the world, translating it into the kingdom of God. We give you honor. We give you glory. We thank you for healing, Doreena. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.